You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 6, introducing your next leader. The final section of this book is Moses' long farewell speech. The first sentence, then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel, seems to introduce a new address. He says, I am now a hundred and twenty years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The life of Moses is divided into three forty-year periods. The first forty were in Egypt, the next forty were in Midian, according to Acts 7, and the final forty years were spent leading Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness to the Promised Land. Moses recognizes his own mortality. He knows this is the end of his journey as their leader, even though he was still strong mentally and physically for his age. Deuteronomy 34.7 says Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. As it was said of David, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. It has been said, We are immortal until our work is done. Yet it was still the end for him, since God had told him so. The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. He knew this because earlier he had said to them, The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. The reason for this was his sin at the waters of Meribah, when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Numbers 20.12 says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And even the Psalms recall this event. By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. So this personal presence of God was what set this congregation apart. This chapter promises three times that he would go with them. He crosses over first. And this will happen symbolically when the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes the presence of God, is the first to cross the Jordan. It is God who will accomplish their military victories. They are not an effective army without him. They are escaped slaves who have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. The fighting they will do is not just for the sake of fighting, but to destroy or displace those peoples out of the land and take possession of it. But although the life and ministry of Moses were completed, God's work would go on. Aaron had already died at the age of 123 for his part in that rebellious act, and his son Eleazar succeeded him as high priest. Like Aaron, Moses would also have a successor. And although God crosses over first as their supreme leader, Joshua is under his command. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. 
And this was done when Joshua was commissioned by Moses by the laying on of hands in front of Eleazar the priest. The people knew Joshua, since he had been with them since Egypt, and he was Moses' faithful assistant, and had been given a good report as a spy. So this chapter will record Joshua's inauguration. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as God had already given them military victories east of the Jordan against superior foes, so he would do the same once they crossed over the Jordan. It was a preview of what was to come. On their part, they were to utterly destroy them, as God commanded. This admonition to be strong and courageous, though usually directed at Joshua, is here given to all the people, who will be the ones to carry out the commands. The warriors are admonished not to be afraid or terrified because of their enemies, because they have the presence of the Almighty God, and He will not abandon them ever. Verses 7 and 8, Joshua encouraged publicly. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you, and you will be, and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So this encouragement and admonition was public, for Joshua's sake and for the sake of the Israelites, who needed to know that Moses approved of Joshua as his successor to lead them the rest of the way. Warriors and their leaders need both strength and courage to fight, and Moses ties it back to God's covenant promise and forward to the division of the land. This is an inheritance. It is a gift given from a loving father. It is not earned, yet they still need to do the actual work of conquering the people who currently live there. It won't be easy, but ultimate victory is assured, again because of God's presence with Joshua. Verses 9-13, to 13, Public Reading of the Law So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to all the elders and to all the elders of Israel. And this is another statement confirming Moses as the author of these five books. The only part that would have been added afterwards were the details of his death, and possibly chapter 33, which was his final blessing on Israel, recorded by Joshua or one of the elders or Levites. He gave it to the priests and elders for safekeeping, but they weren't to hide it away like some churches who have one copy of the Bible, and it is admired but not read. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year for cancelling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. It was to be read during the Feast of Tabernacles each sabbatical year. Since they were required to come to the central location three times a year, yet to be revealed as Jerusalem, it was the best time to address the whole nation together. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, 
and the foreigners residing in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children, who do not know this law, must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So the word was not for an elite group, but for all people, men, women, children, and foreigners who lived in their towns. There would always be new people, children and foreigners, who had never heard it and would need to hear and learn God's law so they could fear God and obey him. And this would result in them remaining in the land for a long time. And this was done after they returned to Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. Nehemiah 8, 1-3 says, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the teacher of the law to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate, in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Verses 14 to 23, Joshua's Inauguration, Israel's Rebellion, a song of witness. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. Most of us do not know the day of our death, thank God, but Moses needed to know it was imminent so he could do what needed to be done. This official handover, like a naval change of command ceremony, was done at the tabernacle where God's presence dwelt. At special times, God appeared in a pillar of cloud. This way, they knew he was there. And this confirmed Joshua as Israel's new military leader. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. God tells them that after the death of Moses, described as resting with his ancestors, the people would very quickly prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they were entering. Idolatry is always described in terms of prostitution or adultery because God is seen as the husband of the nation. And when they had first left Egypt, God said, Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. So this behavior is the result of forsaking God and breaking his covenant. And because they would forsake God, he would forsake them. And in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and in that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day, 
because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. This is a sad text, because God knew this would happen, even after all he had done for them. Being forsaken by God would lead to his anger, his face hidden from them, destruction, disasters, and calamities. But they will understand that the reason for such disaster is their own disobedience, which would make God leave them. In this chapter, he had promised he'd be with them, but if they forsook him, he'd forsake them. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it, so that it may be a witness for me against them. When, they have, I, when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them, because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do, even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. Because several generations will pass before this apostasy or falling away occurs, God has taught, God has Moses teach the Israelites a song. It will be in the collective memory of the people, and when they are suffering the results of their sins, they will remember it, and it will be the evidence against them. God said it is both a witness for him and against them. God knows it will happen and tells them, even before they enter the land, and this falling away will begin not in hard times, but when they are thriving. And that's the downside of prosperity. We begin to think we had something to do with it and forget to thank God. He speaks of this in Deuteronomy 8, 10-18. Songs are poetic ways we speak to ourselves and each other about what God has done. And the song itself will be recorded in the next chapter. So Joshua must have been anxious about the responsibility of leading such a large army. But when God calls someone, he equips them to complete the task. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. Leadership is a lonely place. There's a saying, it's lonely at the top. But God promises to be with him. And this will help him face any obstacles to come. This is a second reassurance and affirmation to Joshua, this time from God directly. Some versions add that he, God, inaugurated Joshua. And this was not done by Moses, but by someone greater. It was God who chose the next leader. Think of a presidential inauguration. The ceremony is performed by a religious leader, not by the previous president. Verses 24 to 29, Final Warning After Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There it will remain as a witness against you, for I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? 
assemble before me all the elders of your tribes and all your officials, so that I can speak these words in their hearing, and call the heavens and the earth to testify against them. For I know that after my death you are sure to become utterly corrupt and turn from the way I have commanded you. In days to come disaster will fall on you, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord, and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. The word that Moses spoke and wrote down from Genesis um, to um, Deuteronomy were kept by the Levites beside the ark. The Pentateuch was also known as the Book of the Law. Only the Ten Commandments were placed inside of it. They would need to have access to these five scrolls. It will testify against them because it reveals that God knows that they will turn from him after he has done them nothing but good. Heaven and earth, or God and man, will also witness against them. Moses shows his disappointment. He has been with them, and if they are rebellious and stiff-necked, which is stubborn and obstinate, while he was still alive with them, then what would they do once he was no longer an influence on them? His only consolation was that he had done his duty, and God would be faithful to his covenant. Verse 30, the Song of Moses introduced. As we said previously, the chapter divisions were not in the original. This would have been one long section. So this sentence introduces the Song of Moses that God instructed him to write and teach to the Israelites. It says, And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. And the following chapter contains this song. So scarlet threads. What scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Moses would not cross over into the promised land, but Joshua would. It must have been frustrating for him to come so far and yet not achieve the goal for which he had worked his whole life. He had even hoped God would change his mind. Deuteronomy 3. But it's been said that Moses represented the law while Joshua represented Jesus, and the law cannot inherit the promise. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses would be leaving them, but God would provided another leader, Joshua. God promised his presence would never leave them or forsake them. Jesus, God the Son, stepped into time and space and lived among us. Then, when he returned to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, so that we would not be alone. Because of this, we can be content and unafraid. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So the sin of our first parents broke our fellowship with God. But he immediately announced a plan of reconciliation through the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. The plan would take thousands of years to fulfill, but because of Jesus, we are restored into a relationship with God again and will one day be in his presence. It is the presence of God that assures our hearts when we are afraid. Jesus promised to be with us always, 
The command to be strong and courageous instead of afraid and terrified of their enemies was given to the warriors who would fight and to Joshua who would lead them. There are many other times in Scripture where people are encouraged to be strong and courageous. Paul also says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. And finally, be strong in the uh, Lord and in his mighty power. So this is just before Paul speaks about putting on the armor of God in Ephesians 6. We are also engaged in a battle, and we fight spiritual enemies that would be too strong for us, but in the armor of God we are able to stand, because Jesus has already triumphed. The scriptures were to be read publicly before all ages, so they would learn to fear the Lord. Even if we read them privately, there is great benefit to the public reading of scripture. We need to read, know, love, and meditate on God's word, so we know what pleases and displeases him. It was to be read during the Sabbath year. This was when all debts were cancelled. We are in our Sabbath rest. We do not work for our salvation, but rest in the finished work of Christ, who paid our debts. But the old covenant was insufficient. Greg Laurie says, The law is like a moral mirror. It shuts our mouths and opens our eyes. It condemns but does not convert. It challenges but does not change. It points the finger but cannot give mercy. And it drives us to Jesus, who has the answer we are looking for. So if we are powerless to keep the law, why was it given? Paul answers, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And, he says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. God didn't intend to leave us in slavery. For for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Joshua's inauguration ceremony was done at the tabernacle of meeting, signifying the presence of God. Everything we do is before the face of God. God appeared in a cloud during Joshua's inauguration ceremony. From the first time God put his rainbow in a cloud, to Jesus' return in the clouds of glory, the cloud has been a symbol of his presence. Just to mention a few, the pillar of cloud which led the Israelites by day in the wilderness, the cloud that covered Mount Sinai while Moses was there receiving the law, which represented the glory of God. We see it in the tabernacle of meeting and on the mountain when Moses was in the cleft of the rock and God passed before him and proclaimed his name. When God gave some of his spirit to the other elders to help Moses, when God disciplined Aaron and Miriam for envying Moses, also during the dedication of the first temple, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, and it is also referred to as the glory of the Lord, or the Shekinah glory. We also see Daniel prophesying about the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. In the New Testament, we see the cloud again on the Mount of Transfiguration, where God the Father speaks from the cloud. 
Jesus told the council they would see him coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven in a cloud, and the angels told the people staring into the sky that he would return in the same way he left. At the second coming we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And finally, Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. So Moses was to teach the Israelites a song, so they'd understand that God knew their hearts, and it would convict them of their sin. We need to sing to each other with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. God's word convicts us of sin. God said they would break his covenant. Therefore, a new covenant was needed. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 32. May God bless the study of his word.